Welcome to the Saint Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Our vision is to bring hope, and I hope this encourages you wherever you're listening. Enjoy. Um, it's so good to welcome you at the church if you're here visiting. Uh, welcome if you're watching online. We're excited you're here. Welcome to those of you in the Royal Box upstairs. So good you're here too. And um, we're really excited for this morning. We're continuing our series on the deeply formed life. And as you know, the, the five weeks beginning this autumn, we're looking at a book by our friend Rich Velodas um, that is really about laying foundations in your life that you might walk in just a greater sense of security and love with Jesus. And we think this is really important for these troubled times that we'd have that foundation. And so um, last week, I gave away my copy of Deeply Formed Life uh, at this service. Did you get it? No? Did you, you were just wanting one. You were, okay, all right. Don't jump the gun. I gave it away and then found that, that it was the only copy I had. And then amazingly, um, I tried to give it away at the six. And then someone actually bought a copy and gave me another copy. So I now have two copies. Well, I have one copy again. But I'm going to give it away again. So we'll see how this goes. So has, has it, would anybody like a copy of the Deep Reform Life? Okay. No one has been as... In- no, no one has been as enthusiastic as the lady over there because she went, she went before I mentioned it. I'm really sorry. It's, you were the person who would have cut the roof open to let your friend in to see Jesus. There you go. Um, so there you go. Um, honestly, really excited for this series. And um, if you missed last week's one, don't feel like you're missing out because you can go back on YouTube and podcast and catch up with it. And this week, we are looking at racial reconciliation, the kind of second part of what it means to be a deeply formed community, deeply formed church. And um, when I say those words, uh, for everyone in the room, there'll be a different response because we are all different. And that's part of what we're going to look at today. But I want to encourage every one of us to come to what we're looking at today with a deep gospel listening, with a deep openness to what the Spirit of God might want to do in your heart. We are all in need of God's grace. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us need Jesus. That's why we're here, whether we know it or not. And so as we come into this space today, for some of us, I I acknowledge and and know it'll bring a load of different emotions. And there'll be lots of different perspectives, lived experiences. um, And in the time we've got, we're not going to be able to cover everything. But what we're going to try and do today is, as part of our commitment as a church, to try and walk in building a community that follows Jesus and recognizes the image of God in each other, just to create a bit more of that space to be able to have those conversations. We do this every now and then, and it's really important. And why is it important? Why do we care about this as a church leadership, as a church community? Well, really three reasons. Racial reconciliation is not like a bolt-on for the Christian experience. It's not like a kind of, oh, we live in a really multicultural area, therefore we're going to talk about racial inclusion or racial reconciliation. No, it is not a bolt-on. It's not an optional extra. It's not like a kind of next-level, advanced package, Jesus-plus version of Christianity. No, this is actually at the heart of what it is to be a Christian. Three quick reasons. We talk about this and we care about this because looking backwards, it's right at the heart of Jesus' mission and teaching to the church. 
His prayer is that we would be one. The whole arc of the Bible ends up in Revelation, every tribe and tongue gathered around the throne of God. And therefore, when we as the church look backwards, it's like you can't dislocate this stuff from the gospel. People say, oh, you know, racial reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. Not true. It is the gospel. It is like 101 of what it is to be a Christian, is to be reconciled with God and reconciled with each other. So looking backwards, it's not an optional extra. It's not like a, it, it is right. It is literally a gospel issue. It's imperative. It's what Jesus died that we might be able to walk in. Secondly, looking around us at the world today, we know that we are in a community that needs reconciliation. You know, looking around our church this morning, I mean, have a little look around you at the room you're in. Just turn around, look at the people around you. Notice that there is difference in the room. We are a very diverse church community. We reflect the community we are in. And hands up who thinks that's a good thing. Everybody put your hands up right now. Wave your hands in the air like you just don't care. What a beautiful thing to come to church with people who don't look like you and sound like you and speak and come from the same backgrounds as you. What a wonderful thing. What a gift from God we have when we look around us. But at the same time, we want to make sure we steward that really well. And we talk about the stuff that allows us to fully reflect the grace of God in this kind of community. So it's important we look around us. It's important we look back. And thirdly, it's really important when we look at the future of the world that the church and us as a community play our part in building a future that has at its heart an imperative towards racial reconciliation. If you look at the headlines, and you don't need me to remind you about how messed up the world is right now, right at the heart of what the world needs right now is reconciliation. And the church is a place where we get to learn how to do that so we might carry it into our workplaces and into our world. I'm going to read a passage from Ephesians, and then I've asked Naomi to come and um, share some thoughts, and then we're going to pray, and, and we're all going to get to be involved this morning. We're all going to get to pray. We're all going to get to be involved from the heart level. Um, but we want to go and start with Scripture, which is really unequivocal on this. So turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. And it says this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in his, this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, 
by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, we bring to you today the desperate needs of the world as experienced through each of our perspectives, our stories, our lived experiences. We thank you for the extraordinary love of Jesus that on the cross you took all the suffering, all the pain, all the sin and anger of the world onto your body. And you said it is finished. We thank you that we are now new creations in you. We thank you that while we were once far away, we've been brought near. And we pray today that you would break every dividing wall in our minds, that we would be one as you and the Father are one. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you put your hands together for Nye, who's going to come and share, and then we're going to pray. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you today as we continue our discipleship series, inviting Jesus to mold us into his likeness. The scriptures talk about us being formed like clay, molded by the potter, and yet it's not a natural thing to hand over our power, our agency, our control to someone else. And yet when we say yes to following Jesus, we are saying yes to letting him shape the whole of our lives, not just a part of it. Today, as Al said, I wanna call us to reflect on the reality that racial reconciliation is a part of our discipleship, one of the things that I love most about this church is that we have people from every age and stage, from every demographic. There is a wealth of love and wisdom and faith in this room. And we're not just products of our belief systems. We've also been formed by the norms and values of the families we're from, the cultures we're from, our own experiences of this world that we inhabit. In the household that I grew up in, learning to cook was not a choice. From early, my parents would grab a chair, put it next to them, and though I couldn't see over the stove, I was taught to mix and copy and mimic. I learned to do what they were doing. In our household, you were taught to be bullshit and quick-witted. If you've met a West Indian, we got an answer for everything, and we love to tell a good story. At bedtime, my dad would tell me about the Maroons, about the Africans who had been trafficked to Jamaica, but fought off their captors, escaping to the mountains and establishing their own territories. Unbeknownst to me, to this little black girl, so fair that most people thought she was mixed race, 
My parents were trying to imbue in me a sense of dignity in my identity. Knowing that when I would leave the safety of our house to go to school in a predominantly white neighborhood, the teachers would single me out and mark me down to encourage me to be better. The children would say I couldn't play with them because my skin was the wrong color. Older kids would put things into my head to see if it would fall through, treating me like a toy and an object, not a friend. Each one of us will have our own stories, our own experiences of lessons that we have picked up as we learn how to navigate what is undoubtedly a racialized world. No matter what heritage we may come from, we'll each have picked up some good things and some not so good things along the way. Maybe in your family, you picked up a sense of value or self-worth, of hospitality or warmth. But I wonder how many of you also picked up a, a fear of others, an ignorance of other people's difficulties, a lack of compassion, because no one's immune. And yet it's so hard for us to recognize the lessons that we grow up with, the things that we just take for granted. It's like the water that we've been swimming in. It's just more polluted than we ever actually realized. And this is only exacerbated in the institutions that we go through because institutions are just big groups of people. And so we see in our schools the ignorance that is rife. We see inequality in our health system, disadvantage in our housing. We just have to look at how the media reports on conflict and immigration to hear the inhumane and uncompassionate language that is used. The reality is there is tons of messaging all around us all the time, be it from family, culture, or the wider world that is teaching us to form judgments and opinions about people from different ethnic groups. And yet the call of the New Testament is to form a new way of being. It's to trade strangers for family. In the New Testament, we get the language of the body, of believers who need each other, who are knitted together in community. This is the true language of church. It's not about buildings or service times. It's about being a family of believers who are founded on the person of Jesus Christ. And so today, I want to encourage you that racial reconciliation is not a secular issue that we bring in during Black History Month, but rather the dignity, compassion, and reconciliation of ethnic groups to one another is a kingdom principle right at the heart of the Gospels and the New Testament. Amen? Amen. Verses 8 to 10 from today's reading are some of the most famous passages we have in the Bible. And they say this, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. This is a gift from God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace that I have been saved. There's no hierarchy in the life of the Christian. No one is better at being a Christian because no one earned their salvation. It was a gift given freely by God. Every one of us have been saved and set apart solely because Jesus chose to. God, in his good and perfect will, looked at you, looked at the person sat next to you, looked at the person behind you and said, here's one that I made myself. Here is one that I made for good. Here is one who will invite others into this invitation to eternal life. In God, we are all made equal. 
The language here used in verse 14 says, Jesus has made the two groups one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, creating in himself one new humanity. That's what we're meant to be, one new humanity, one new family in Jesus. And yet from the very beginning of the church, right there in Acts with the Greek widows and the Jewish old habits, and divisions along ethnic lines have always crept in. But that is not what Jesus models to us. Jesus models a laying down of power, a laying down of everything he was ever entitled to. And we are called to be Christ followers, imitating the way of peace. Together with the people around you, we are being built together into a temple of his presence, his peace, his shalom is surely found here amongst us. I love that word. And it's got about 20 different meanings. But I think the best one there is, is that shalom is the destruction of chaos. That The Lord looks at brokenness and inequality and says, my peace is proactive. It goes into, it rescues, and it restores. That's what Ephesians says Jesus did to our ethnic... Divisions, not the other word that I thought it was. To those delineations of who's better, who's more powerful, who's smarter, Jesus ripped up the entire concept of ethnic superiority. In Christ's time, the division was Jew and Gentile, the children of Abraham and those who were not. And both of these groups looked down on one another. They derided one another the Gentiles that Paul was speaking to were Roman citizens. They were intelligent, well-educated, worldly people. To their minds, the Jews were barbaric. They cut themselves as a sign of devotion to God. They were simple. And what power did they have? They weren't ruling anything. They were just another minority in a sprawling empire. To the Jews, the Gentiles were unclean. Their minds were dulled from lack of knowledge. Paul describes them as without hope and without God. It was outrageous to both of these groups that in accepting Jesus, they weren't called to polite tolerance and coexistence, but into an actual family. They were called to recognize their enemies as brothers and sisters. And it shouldn't be a surprise to us. It is everywhere in the Gospels. Jesus is constantly dignifying minorities. Who does he meet at the well but the Samaritan woman? For the Jews, the Samaritans were worse than Gentiles. They had warped their Jewish teachings. And yet to the confusion of the disciples, Jesus shared the gospel with them time and time again, empowering them, honoring them, inviting them. The Son of God came to the outsider. And of course, we know that she becomes the first evangelist that we hear of. Luke 10, 25 to 37 is otherwise known as the parable of the good Samaritan of the one who cannot look away at someone who's been victimized, even when the Jewish priest does, even when the Jewish scribe does. And it's intentionally these roles, because what it shows is that all the impressive knowledge of the scriptures is insufficient if it does not shape our hearts, our compassion, our love for our neighbor. To the Roman centurion who came to Jesus when his soldier was sick, Jesus said, truly I tell you, I found no one in Israel with such great faith. 
I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. To anyone who felt special or superior, Jesus was saying the Gentiles have just as, right to be ch- just as much a right to be children of God as they do. And what are the very last words that we hear from Jesus' earthly ministry? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Every race, every nation, every type. For God so loved the world, not God so loved the UK, not God so loved one race over another, but God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Would we be willing to let God search our hearts and our actions to see if there is any barrier, any passivity, any indifference in us to the realities of racial inequality? Because it's not a philosophical idea. It is a lived reality for the very people I'm speaking to. For those of you watching online and those of you in this room, I am speaking to you. It is a fact that people born outside of the UK and their descendants are disproportionately disadvantaged because of the color of their skin. Ethnicity has always existed. It is a beautiful part of the diversity of God's creation. But the idea that one race is more powerful than all, that, that it's more intelligent, more worthy, is a modern concept only a few hundred years old. One that was brought in to divide and to oppress And for all of the progress that has been made in the centuries that followed, its scar tissue remains in the corporate memory of this nation. And it is viscerally felt by people of color. So we cannot pretend it away through politeness or colorblind tolerance. Rather, if each one of us are truly to say yes to the call to imitate Christ, then we're also saying yes to laying down our power our sense of entitlement, our ego. We are saying yes to the God who desires that his church would continue to uproot division and hostility, settling for nothing less than a family. In the church, Jesus reconciled Jew and Gentile by bringing them into intimate relationship. Have you noticed that the ignorance and stereotypes, they can't hold weight in family. They can't hold weight in proximity. The more time that you spend together, the more you realize that those things you might have heard or those things you might have read, well, they're not really true. They can only exist in distance and ignorance. And today, I wonder who God might be calling you into deeper relationship with. Who are the people that you will raise your families with, that you will accept correction from, that you will grieve with, Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. But it also says, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. When is the last time that you mourned with a brother or sister fatigued by the realities of racial profiling or discrimination? When is the last time that you asked a friend from a different background how you can love and support them? What do they need? Racism, please allow me to be categorically clear, 
is a sin. It is a sin, be it individual beliefs that might go unchallenged deep in our hearts or the reality of an entire society founded on giving power to the few because of their race. We live in a culture that is quick to scapegoat its problems onto those who aren't even from here. How can that be anything other than sin? Racism in all of its ugliness is a distortion of the creation that God looked at and said was good, that he made, that he imbued dignity and honor onto. And like all sin, we are called to confess and to repent. And true repentance is not self-flagellation. It's not spikes of emotionality and then not thinking about it again. It's a turning away from. It's a rewiring and its potential is revolutionary. In repentance, we turn towards God. We take on a posture of humility, of needing his help, needing his wisdom, needing his mercy. It is that posture that will equip us to be peacemakers and reconcilers, to be people who honor others above ourselves, the very opposite of prejudice and discrimination. In repentance, we lament the evils of the world that we've inherited. We rightly recognize sin and are repelled by it. We renounce our indifference and our complicity, making room for God to show us how he feels about the dignity of his creation. Before the service, I couldn't stop crying. And if you know me, you'll know that I really don't like crying. It's a whole battle that goes on in me. But it wasn't until about two minutes before I was about to talk that I realized that it was God's grief, not my own that it is God's grief. It is children. I'm good. It is God's grief that his children would be dishonored. It is God's grief that you would be looked at as less than or insufficient. It is God's grief that you would not be made and, and confident in who he has called you to be. And the gift of being church I'm good, I got this. You can sit down. The gift of being church is that we get to mirror. Hi. Is that we get to mirror that, we get to echo that, we get to champion that, we get to say, hi, body, hi, family, I see you. I see God in you, I recognize him in your face. Hi, teenager that everyone else seems to think of is inherently rebellious or difficult to you. I'm gonna get alongside you and mentor you. I will not vilify you or act like you are inherently dangerous. Hi there, your accent is different to mine. Can you teach me the things of your culture? How dare I assume that you are ignorant because you sound different to me, that you are less educated because you look different to me? If we do not think that God is not grieved and angered by the mistreatment of his children, we have misunderstood our God. I love this quote from Dr. Brenda Sauter McNeil. She says, reconciliation is an ongoing spiritual process involving forgiveness, repentance, and justice that restores broken relationships and systems to reflect God's original intention for all creation to flourish. For all creation to flourish. The thing about a body is that you need every part of it to be healthy. 
When we rightly acknowledge how unjust our society is, we bring light to the damage that it is when ethnic minorities cannot be their whole self in Christ. Why would we want to be without the joy and exuberance and healing and revelation of Jesus as fully expressed in these communities? For us to truly rejoice together, we must recognize and honor one another, delighting in the fullness and diversity of this creation that God calls his handiwork. You have been crafted by him. You are full of worth. Hear the words of Ephesians to us as we gather together this morning. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. You are a holy temple built together, not alone, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Jesus is preparing his church. He is making it ready for his return. That's what discipleship is. It is a willingness to be formed, to be molded, to be prepared. And a part of that preparation is a love for one another that is far from shallow. A love that lays down its power that it might honor its neighbor and invite in the stranger. In a moment, I'll hand back over to Al. But I have five thoughts I just want to leave you to sit with as we head into a time of ministry. And the first is this. What would it look like for you to accept the complexity of being in this new family? Family requires you to turn up, to be present, to accept that that person in front of you is worth clumsily seeking to grow for. It's not a one-off space, but a group of people that we continue and continue to build relationship in, that we keep investing in. The family is a unit, a household that we belong to. Do you think that the people alongside you belong to you? Because Jesus does. Secondly, would you be brave enough to invite the Holy Spirit to help you explore your own racial formation? To shine a light that there may be things in you that you don't even realize you've accepted. To allow him to put a finger on areas of ignorance. When I look back at school, I flinch at the name-calling that went on between West Indians and West Africans. These beliefs about one another that followed us into adulthood, they were founded on ignorance, on living in silos. And I look around with hope for younger generations to not pick up those same habits. As a black woman with curly, dark brown hair that coils out of my head and will never fall straight, I have accepted far too many times that it needs to be straightened and tugged at with heat, as if the way that my God made me is somehow insufficient, as if I will be more worthy, more professional, more appropriate if I alter myself to a European standard. I think God's got some feelings on that. And I don't think I'm the only one. I wonder what God might want to challenge you on today. The third thing is, would you lament and resist the racial sins that continue to shape our world today? Would you correct your family and friends where they come out with the same lazy narratives that vilify people who are different from them, that stereotype them because of their race? Would you teach your children that they don't have to put others down to have self-worth? Would you model for them what honor and compassion can look like? 
Fourthly, would you recognize that repentance and forgiveness are continual acts? They are not one-offs. I don't know about you, but I get a lot of stuff wrong a lot of the time. And I find myself saying sorry more often than my pride is comfortable with, but it is so worth it to be reconciled to my brother and my sister. It is necessary that when we engage in conversations around race and identity, that neither side would be conceited and proud. That as Jesus emptied himself of all earthly power, we would do the same, caring more about the person in front of us than how well-read or how self-righteous we can come across. And lastly, would you cling to Jesus? because Jesus is our peace. We can only give what we have received. We can only extend compassion and grace and welcome if we recognize how desperately we need it ourselves. The call today is to keep letting Jesus form you into his image. The world does not need more temporary outrage. We don't need more posts on social media, no short-term bouts of concern. No, this is a choice. This is a prayer straight out of Ezekiel for the Lord to give us a new heart and put a new spirit within us, to remove from us a heart of stone and to give us a heart of flesh. Al, do you want to come on up? I really want to thank Nai um, for sharing, um, uh, not just because um, she's brilliant and we love her and we're proud of her, but also because um, what she's shared for many of you will have put voice to a lived experience that is really, really hard to articulate well. And not only that, for those of us who are listening who are like, that is uncomfortable to hear, I want you to be comfortable with the uncomfortability of it, if you know what I mean, because it's really important as the church that we're not afraid to listen deeply and and to learn. Um, So by thanking Nye, what we're doing actually is acknowledging this. And for those of you who are like, well, I didn't think I was going to hear that in front of church this morning. (laughs) Yeah. And for those of you who are like, oh, that's, that's new. Yeah. But we want to honor this voice in our community, um, not because it's part of a program, but it's part of following Jesus. Um, Jesus doesn't give us the option of an easy life. He gives us the option of reality. And I know that that's far more exciting than the dull serum of contemporary culture lulling you into your corner. And when we hear voices like that, actually what the Bible talks about is the prophetic. What you just heard was prophecy. And for some of us, it is uncomfortable. For others, it makes you weep and you're trying to hold it together. Both are okay. And so I want to honor Nye again. And in honoring Nye, um, we're not just honoring Nye, we're honoring the voice that has spoken today, the voice of the Holy Spirit. So thanks for sharing.
we framed this as a, as a team at the beginning of the autumn that we feel like we're in a season of preparation and part of this series is playing into that preparation of laying foundations for whatever God wants to do in our generation here. And um, my hunch and my sense is that, that we need revival. What does that mean when it means a move of God that we can't control or contain that will bring thousands of people to know Jesus and restore lives and marriages and hearts turned back to him? And that is a supernatural move. But there are some things that we learn as we walk with Jesus about how we can lay the foundations for that. The beginning of Mark's gospel, you remember we began the autumn looking at this. John the Baptist says, prepare the way for the Lord. And we're in a season, I believe, of preparation. With all that's been going on here, we've been learning a huge amount. And at the heart of that has been repentance and reconciliation. Repentance, turning away, and re reconciliation, getting right with God. But honestly, I, I do believe this is really core to what God is doing in us as a church. And I shared over the last six months about the outpouring we've been seeing happening. It started in Asbury and has been flowing all over the world. Just people's lives getting right. Jesus' presence filling people and meeting with people. But we're just beginning to realize that the heart of what God's been doing has been racial reconciliation. And let me tell you a story. Um, a few weeks ago, we were spending some time with some of the people who were involved in the outpouring that began in Asbury. And one of the things that's been happening in the US that's very, very healthy, but also very painful, are what are called witness circles. I don't know if you heard about witness circles. Um, it's where you'll get in a town, a coming together of the kind of elders of the town with the purpose of reconciliation along racial lines. And what will happen in a witness circle is you'll gather maybe the, the white leader, the mayor maybe, and maybe a, a kind of leader representing the black community, like a pastor or, or somebody in a position of kind of stature within the black community. And they'll get together behind closed doors uh, with the kind of elders of the community, and they will read together through some of the most painful texts held by the community. For example, texts around ownership of property. And it'll go through, you know, the ownership, this town owned this property, this landowner owned this farm, and then it'll get to they owned cattle, and then it'll get to they owned slaves. And it'll lead, read through the list and the litany of the commercialization of racism and the institutionalization of racism. And what happens in the witness circles is, you know, they'll share what happened. The, the, there'll be a reading. Often the black community leader will read the deed of property. And then the leader, often the white community leader, will, on the behalf of the community, uh, take time to listen, to acknowledge, and publicly to confess and repent of the evil of slavery. And it's done behind closed doors. It's so full on. It's really, as you can imagine, you know, quite a thing. And these have been happening kind of behind closed doors over the last, well, for, for a while. And they're, they're, they're deeply powerful. I believe they're gospel. They're really important. What was fascinating to learn from our friends at Asbury, that we didn't know about this until um, a few months ago, is that the night before the outpouring began in February of this year, the white leader of the university, of Asbury University, a guy called Kevin, Dr. Kevin Brown, is an amazing guy president of the college, got together with a local group of pastors led by a, a black pastor. And behind the closed doors of the college, they had a witness circle, the evening before the outpouring. And some of the students came and led worship. A couple of the guys 
who are friends of friends, a couple of, in fact, a gospel choir got together from the college. Students, kids, black kids got together and they led worship at that witness circle. And the Spirit of God fell in that witness circle. That gospel choir went on and they went to the Hughes Auditorium and they were rehearsing for chapel the next day and they worshipped all night. Following morning, students assembled for chapel and normal chapel service, but the Spirit of God fell. And 16 days and nights, 100,000 plus people, billions around the world watching, watched an outpouring, the first great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 21st century, certainly in the West. But actually, when you trace the genesis of what happened there, the unlocking was through repentance and reconciliation along racism, confessing racism and bringing racial reconciliation. And then why do I share that story this morning? Because what Nye has shared, I don't believe is sort of like, like Nye said beautifully, it, it, it's not that it's Black History Month. We love Black History Month. It's really important. It's that this stuff, I believe, is right at the heart of what Jesus would have for us as a community. That we would be a community that live under the open heaven brought by the blood of Jesus in repentance and reconciliation. There is no other hope for the world. There's no other hope for our generation. So we're going to pray. And um, I, I'm going to suggest a framework for how we might pray before we come into land. The worship team, if you might come back and lead us, um, that'd be fantastic. But we often pray, you know, someone said to me a couple of weeks ago, you know, how do I become a Christian? If you're not a Christian here, I, I'd love to chat to you at the end. If you're watching online, get in touch. It's really simple to become a Christian. We always say there's three things you need to pray. Firstly, sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Secondly, thank you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you love me. And thirdly, please. Hey, thanks for listening to this week's Saint podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you want to find out more ways of connecting or if you want to support the vision of Saint, you can head over to saint.church. For now, have a great week and we'll catch up really soon.